All right, welcome back to The Underdogs, a podcast dedicated to covering the twists, turns, laughs, and tears of the Emmy Award-winning Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. We hope that you enjoyed the first two seasons of the show, and just like Ted, we are back. Season 3 preview is done. It was amazing, live from the actual Crown and Anchor pub, a.k.a. the Prince's Head in Richmond, England. So, we're excited to have the season back in our lives. Here we go. And look, this might be the first time you're listening to The Underdog, so if that's the case, welcome. If not, welcome back. You know what we do. In every episode, we break down the total episode. We get a little three-word review to summarize it. We analyze what happened on the pitch, off the pitch, and get you down to the main theme of the episode. And we follow this with a little bit of pub trivia and finally crown a winner, winner, football dinner of the episode. Who's going to win this season? We don't know yet, but expect debates. That's right. So today we're covering the premiere of season three. It was episode Smells Like Mean Spirit. After a 17-month absence, Ted Lasso is back. And boy, did the opening episode deliver some fireworks. If you also want to deliver fireworks, you can follow us on social media at Pod Underdogs. Uh, we are very excited to continue the episode conversation there. We're, we're going to do our best to be good stewards of the of the watching community, though, and not do too many spoilers until a few days ap- after the episode airs. Obviously, you're getting this episode on a Friday uh, we think you know a couple day embargo is probably enough to to be safe, um, but that is kind of our plan on on episode recaps and things like that. Uh, but at Pod Underdogs, follow us. Let's get into it. All right. Well, we don't know any other way how to kick off an episode other than a three word episode review. So let us start our season three journey. Here we go. Uh, I went with fresh new wounds. That's right. Episode Uh-oh. one. Holding no punches, they've ripped off all the band-aids. Now we have to figure out what to essentially, what trauma do we solve first, Nick? There's just so many. Yeah, that is correct. Uh, I went with letting shit flow. Um, very, uh, I, didn't, I didn't think we'd end up in a sewer in episode one, but but here we are. Big sewer guy. Big, big, big sewer, sewer guy. guy. Yep. He love those, loves those aqueducts. You know, he's really interested in the... Roman escapades for uh, advancing water up and down. Um, I went with embracing oneself. Let Ted be Ted. Let Keely be Keely. Let Rebecca be Rebecca. Just let them all be themselves and thrive because that's let what I'm Rupert they be do. Rupert. Dan. Hmm. Oh look, you can't can't stop him from being himself. That's for sure. He show who shall not be named is who <laughs> you mean. All right. Well, let's jump in. Uh, we always start with the uh, on the pitch stuff. Uh, we always start with what goes on, the football stuff, um, and we start with Ted and Henry at London Heathrow, which was fun because we were just there. I was watching yep. My wife is like, remember, remember that was yep. us, just less Legos. Uh, Henry is headed home after spending six weeks in London with Ted over the summer. There's a cheeky plan of motions when, uh, with the phone Ted's holding. A message from Michelle, his ex-wife, says, Have a safe flight. I love you. Got me. Totally double-take that and was confused. Is Ted moving back to Kansas? No, Henry is flying home, and the message was on his phone. Um, there's a long goodbye, Dan. Very heartwarming. Fun scene. Uh, we get the Lego Premier League trophy. And a lot of advice from from good old Henry to his dad. Oh, I mean, he's essentially making sure his dad knows that the whole he'd like him to win. You know, he wants him to get the real thing. He wants him to see him lift the trophy. And look, going from preseason expectation of bottom of the league, just after getting promoted to winning it, not many teams uh, have done that to ever in the Premier League. And so Henry might be asking for a lot from old dad there, but ultimately. He has to do it. He has to give Henry belief that there is an opportunity to advance this, Nick, to make a statement in the Premier League with Richmond being back up again. Yeah, and it's a fun little continuation of the Lego building that they did in season one, um, right, where they built the double-decker bus. You know, there's uh, clearly someone's a fan of Legos on the show. Maybe everyone is, uh, but... Um, we, we see more about the Legos in a bit. Hey, big shout out, Nick. In the preview, we asked specifically about Dr. Sharon. The yes. doc is back. We speculated maybe they go cheap. Maybe we just hear her via phone and voicemails. No, we get the full thing. She is on camera bringing the, the, um, 
the therapy to Ted still. They're right back on it. Yeah, I mean, she's she's a therapist that typically works with teams directly, but it's clear that her and Ted formed a pretty special bond in season two, right? And they continue their doctor-patient relationship in, you know, only the style that they can have, right? Which is incredibly direct and very few personal details. But we do find out a little bit um, that, you know, Sharon has a little bit more of a life than, than we might have thought, um, especially after, uh, you know, the, her bicycle crash in, in season two. But we get a little quote here, which I, I love, um, you know, and it kind of sets the tone, Dan, for for season three. Right. We open, t- you know, the whole season is Ted's face looking really depressed. And, and then we kind of figure out why via his conversation with Sharon. Yeah, she asks, how, how are things at work? How are you feeling about the upcoming season? Ted responds with the, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. I guess some, uh, I do sometimes wonder what the heck I'm still doing here. I mean, I know why I came, but sticking around, I can't quite figure out. And Sharon drops a line, you don't quit things, Ted. Mm-hmm. Just lays it out there as plain as day. And then Ted questions himself, and he asks the, well, maybe I'm doing more hurting than helping at this point. And Sharon follows up with a, well, as a man once said, doubts can only be removed by action. Ted likes it. Sharon responds, I thought you would. Uh, you know, again, there's a lot of question. Is there going to be season four? I think they're kind of planting their flag right away, saying this is the direction we're going. A uh, couple times, I think Ted insinuated, if not directly talked about his future and, and what he wants to do. Uh, but again, just zingers from Sharon uh, just playing right into his hand. Uh, after that, obviously, we got to see a little bit of a love interest for Dr. Sharon, which is good to see. Uh, excited for her. And then Ted, we follow him into the familiar confines of work, right back to the training pitch. Rebecca and Higgins are trying to figure out you know, what to do with all the pundits, picking them to be dead last. Uh, you know, And that's normal for newly promoted teams, as Dan just kind of said. And and that would mean relegation again. Um, but Nick, we get a new we get a new insight to Rebecca. She's a bit fiery. She's yeah. she has different expectations this season. Yeah, she she says uh, bloody hell, all of them, all of them having uh, having us finishing last this season. Uh, every pundit, every lonely middle aged sports blogger, loser writing in his mother's basement. Ouch, that hurts. As we. We do a Chelsea podcast on the side. Uh, Higgins uh, does uh, provide a little bit of comic relief here, though. Of course, he says, oh, you know, Rebecca, the stereotype isn't really true anymore. For example, our 10-year-old Terry started writing a sports blog in our kitchen, which we now call his home office for tax purposes. <laughs> Can relate. Uh, and then she finished him off, though, goes, well, I apologize for the generalization. Where does your son have his finish? And then Higgins has his uh, reactionary uh, gag and, yeah. and does not, ref, you know, come up with an answer, which I think we we all know. So biscuits and the boss is done. Dan Rebecca begins to show her obsession with beating Rupert specifically. You know, mm-hmm. before remember this whole started was tearing down the thing he loved. Now he's at West Ham, another team in London, which West Ham and, and Richmond would be nearby each other, so definitely rivals. Uh, she has a new objective, uh, leads to the three of them disagreeing about how to improve the team. You know, Ted's like, we got some good players. She's like, sign the lot of them. I want new ones. Um, and it, again, just, we're getting light on friction that's already happening. Well, Higgins does suggest that we should go sign some more players or that Richmond should go sign some more players, which is a very common thing to do when a team is promoted from, the championship to the Premier League. You need a little bit more firepower. You need a little bit more depth. You potentially need a higher quality of player. Now, the risk-reward in real life is that if you do that and you go back down, you potentially are on the hook for some really big wages that you can no longer afford. There are parachute payments and things of that nature to make falling down a little bit easier, but ultimately the goal is to stay up, and typically teams that do that well uh, make some adaptations to the way that they play to make that happen. But Ted's big challenge here, Nick, is that his just fine this season is what really strikes a chord when he says that that's what they're going to do. Yeah, I mean, for for as adaptive as Ted is, he's not really one to make massive sweeping changes, right? I mean, he he likes to get comfortable. He likes to get the team together. And he he says, you know, again, Roy and Beard are working on new tactics, 
team's getting along great. But Rebecca's not digging that. You know, if you remember back to season one, episode 10, you know, Ted says, we'll get ourselves a promotion, then we'll do something that no one thinks we can do, win the whole fucking thing. And Rebecca parrots that back to him saying, uh, remember when you did that to me and then blasted half a liter of Pellegrino in my face? That's the Ted Lasso I want coaching my team. I want someone who's going to come in and fight. And that, you know, is kind of at odds with his nature, Brandon. Like, he is not the one to make big confrontations. He's the one that brings people together in Kumbaya's a little bit. Um, and so I think you're starting to see a rift between these two after they had been so much on the same page the last season uh, that their styles are going to clash, it looks like, this season. Uh, again, stakes have changed, right? Rebecca went from, um, you know, season one, trying to foil it right at the end, came around and was like, oh, no, these are good people, I should change. Season two, we see camaraderie, a family, they rally, they go from the championship, which is the second division, and they win and they go back up. And it's because of their unity and the belief that they have as a team hey, you're back in the big leagues. All of a sudden, Rebecca's like, we got to win. I need to see fight and some spirit. And and that's not the, the coach that she has. And to your point, like expectations have changed. Uh, there's a lot more on the line financially. And obviously for her, this is something that she should probably be talking to Dr. Sharon about. You know, this is a, a personal yes. thing, which, you know, I think, you know, comes up later in the, in the script here. But that's that's a big thing, is it? Her perspective has changed. This is also her first chance to really stick it to him, right? To really stick it to Rupert in a competitive sense. Uh, we hear her and Keely kind of voicing that struggle over later, so I'll, I'll let that stay. But she's fired up, man. She doesn't mm-hmm. like being at the bottom of the pile. She's a high achiever, as most people in that position are. And, you know, this is, it's not going to cut it to just be quote-unquote, fine this season. Yeah, Yeah. she's demanding answers. What's your plan to not be this? You know, what are you doing? She's getting in. She's a hands-on manager, and we'll see how it all all shakes out. Uh, But we're going to take our first break. When we get back, um, more uh, in the locker room. And and, uh, trust me, there's a lot more to go. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. All right, panning over to the locker room, we see the team is picked up on the pundits' picks as well. There's a negative and chaotic energy in the locker room for preseason. It's a typical time for optimism. You know, fresh slate. You get the boys back together. Haven't seen them in months. And Jan Moss is leading the charge. <laughs> Good old <laughs> statistics, Dan. Well, he, he does drop the line. that statistically speaking, most teams who get promoted or relegated the very next year. And nobody wants to hear it. Uh, but... Nick, this is a very common pattern. Staying up the next season after promotion is extremely hard. And pretty much every year, unless there's an outlier, it is likely the three teams who just got promoted are likely the three teams that are going down. Definitely the onslaught of favorites to go down, which is why those prognostications are are predicting that for Richmond. But the University of Leicester actually did a study, uh, so we'll nerd out here for a second, uh, they found that uh, a team is likely to suffer relegation 42.42% of the time one year after promotion, 57.14% of the time within two years of promotion, and 60% of the time within three years of promotion, Brandon. So yeah. this is a, you know, again, these are statistical probabilities. They aren't, you know, assurances, but it's it's really, really hard to come up a level and stay there for an extended period of time. Yeah, you usually have to do it in small steps. You know, you make a couple signings the first year, then a couple more, then a couple more. Uh, a lot of small teams will reinvest in their training ground, their youth academies, things like that, to try to just improve the infrastructure of the team. Um, but it, it is very, very competitive. I mean, when you go from championship to Premier League, you, you're getting well over $100 million in revenue for you to play with. And so uh, how you use that to try to maintain that level of income is, is I don't know, maybe we'll see you, right? Maybe Higgins going to get in there. We, you know, he's got his transfer list later. Um, but moving on from this one, we then see a deeply immersed Roy Kent plotting out tactics with Coach Beard. Uh, there's no wonder kid Nate to do this work. So Roy 
pretty much got stuck with the uh, the tactics board. That's his new role. Um, in classic, classic British style, four four two. You, you you spread them out wide. You play direct. You got a big man who knocks it down, and the other guy that runs on Nick, and that's how you play proper football. That's right. We we get Roy going from the hard man motivator, which he played last year as a coach, to you know now someone has to transition himself, and and we find out that that's really weighing on him as a as a as a man. So uh, Roy says it's the best way for us to play the season four four two, which is, and then Ted chimes in, Dan, to our delight and surprise. Uh, four defenders, four in midfield, and two up front. Yeah, I got it, Beard. And then Beard goes, God, I'm proud of you. <laughs> and Ted, Ted leads in with a little bit of knowledge that says, yeah, Henry and I played a whole bunch of FIFA while he was here. Very helpful. Uh, we both learned who Maradona was, and I had to explain why cocaine is actually bad for you. Uh, and then Roy says, right, these little pricks have played 4-4-2 ever since they were kids, which means they always know what they're supposed to do. And more importantly, where they're supposed to be at every fucking minute of every fucking game against every fucking opponent in classic Roy uh, fashion. And and look, Dan, this is something that we talked about in the preview. Will Ted come around and be more of a coach instead of a manager, right? There are two different things. And maybe playing FIFA was his way to mess around and, and learn tactics of the game. I don't know. Well, there's a lot of people who play FIFA who think that they can take over their team's <laughs> side and manage it more effectively than the people operating it. So I'm not surprised that Ted has a new bit of enthusiasm and potentially feels more connected to the game. Uh, he does make the joke about uh, you know who invented this thing, the Russians, uh, Viktor Malazov, who was the pioneer behind the 4-4-2, which is those uh, three distinct lines of players. And uh, look... It, it's probably not the most common Premier League formation today. And you typically see more back threes. You still see some back fours, but usually it's more one lone striker up front. So that two is the number of attackers or distinct attackers you have. And so very interesting to see this is the formation that they're choosing to go with. But, you know, it, it's whatever personnel you have does tend to dictate the style of yeah. play that you're going to make. And that's what a good coach does. Uh, Roy, though, I think showing some of his insecurity, Brandon, says, now I know I don't have Nate's fucking, fucking tac tactical super brain, but I do know it's more important to be solid than clever when you're the underdogs. Wink. Ding, ding. And then, you know, like that, that to me is saying, like, I may not be the, the guy right here, but I know this formation. I know this can work, and I know that we can coach this. Yeah, it's... No nonsense, pragmatic from Roy. And we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, again, very relatable to the real world. I think Nottingham Forest started 4-4-2 this season when they came up. But um, it's going bad for them, so maybe a sign. I don't know. After the tactics session, though, we get our first look at Nate the Hate at his home in East London at West Ham. Yeah, a little confusing. I know. East-West. Keep yep. up with me now. Uh, you got a little bit of music there. Follow the leader by Eric B. and Rakim. Uh, the first thing that we see is this tiny mini parked next to a Ferrari and then him ignoring a staff member on the escalator. He's still reading his own press and his mood changes with the tweet replies. He's still rude. And this is his little, you can tell it's kind of his uh, like morning routine. Same car from episode or season one. Um, but he very loves, zoned out. Yes. He's very self obsessed and wants to know what the mood is around him. Uh, we see Nate take training while embarrassing his players in an overly disciplined boot camp style atmosphere. Love the assistant coach disco, but he has to be even more surly than Nate is because of such a, a fun loving surname, right? Nick. <laughs> yes. Yeah, seems like a real hard ass for sure. Um, and, and this is, you know, you know, we got a little snippet of this, Dan, at the end of, of season two, right? We see the, the tiny, like, five-second clip of Nate running the boot camp-style training session, and we kind of get that here. He's, he's going to be a really, really tough guy to play for, right? That is, you know, he's embarrassing his players. He's, he's overly strict. He's the antithesis of what Ted is, right? And... 
that can be good in some ways and and bad in others. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see, but you can also see that a lot of it is a front or he's continuing to take out a lot of his insecurities or issues that he needs to be dealing with. You know, he needs his own Dr. Sharon as well. Everybody everybody in the show needs a Dr. Sharon when Rupert calls him up to the office and he like, Rupert's going to see you now. I don't think most owners are calling the manager up in the middle of training and expecting them to walk away. Like that is very Abramovich landing a helicopter at Stanford bridge to go talk to a manager type of experience. But that's usually like an extreme. Like we're usually in you're trouble about to if get, that happens. You're about to get fired. You're about to get yeah. sacked. We're about to put you on notice. Not the it's preparation for the season. You're building out your strategy. You're taking a normal training, which that's also interesting. Most often trainings are not happening at the stadium grounds for most clubs. There's usually a separate training facility to the actual pitch. So that's also another kind of interesting wrinkle in how they're constructing it from a narrative perspective. I will say it also looks like the offices are almost exactly the same as the Greyhound offices. Mm. Pay attention to that, maybe. It, I mean, it's all opposites, really, you know, and they're really leaning in and painting that that picture, aren't they? Um, you know, he's nervous, too, because he doesn't have any confidence because he's new. So it's uh, it's so funny. Um yeah, Rupert, owner, boss, he's back. All black, right? He's just, the, is the office black or was it just dark? Yeah, the, it's the Death Star, man. Oh I mean, gosh. it is so clearly. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah, they leaned in hard on that, didn't they? That was pretty fantastic. Yeah, so Nate and Rupert chat. Uh, it's kind of talk about expectations for the season. Rupert laughs at Nate's uh, joke about why Richmond are finishing 20th because there's no 21st. And Hilarious. He's like, and he's like, oh, keep that one for the presser later. That's a good one. Um, and then at the same time, he's towing Nate's mini from the lot because they thought it was from like a, a like a cafeteria worker or construction, grounds crew worker. And what do they call it? Like the premium lot? Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like the owner's <laughs> the preferred lot. Preferred lot. Or yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's going well. Uh, then we have a flashback to Richmond training, and they're still talking about the pundits pick during drills. Paddington Bear didn't even pick them to do well. <laughs> Can't catch a break. Um, it, it's just it's a distraction. I mean, the the players are talking about it, Nick. As you as you see here. Yeah, Jamie Jamie dropped an absolute gem here. On a scale of one marmalade sandwich to five marmalade sandwiches, we got no marmalade sandwiches. Uh, I mean, it's it's just fantastic. And, you know, we get a little bit of subtext from Danny, who's like, even that sweet little bear doesn't believe in us. Um, it's, you know, they're lost a little bit right now, right? They, they You're coming off this triumphant high of getting promoted and doing it in such dramatic fashion, which, of course, is a little TV magic. But, you know, they're, they're I think, settling in, Brandon, to the reality that this shit's going to be hard. Like they, not only does no one believe in them, but they're probably outmanned right now in terms of player personnel, as as we found out from earlier. So there's just a lot of work to do, and a coaching staff that doesn't have a whole lot of tactical nuance now that Nate the Great has left. Yeah, they don't. So we'll have to kind of see, you know, how all that shakes out. Um, but Ted, you know, being the man manager, says we need a break. Mm-hmm. We need to take practice outside. Really confuses Roy, Dan. He he's he needs to catch up because remember, Ted and Beard speak the same language. Roy does not. He's nowhere even close, uh, and it ends up being a field trip to the sewers of London where they learn how to clear the shit out of their heads. Three D chess from Ted. Yeah, but he gets caught in the act by the construction workers who realize it's Roy Kent and snap the photo. How do you realize it's Roy Kent, Dan? Hey, Roy, is that you? <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> it's Roy. Yeah, that's him. Huh. Uh, it, it, it's the type of thing, though, that like if that were happening, they would have tried to do that under the cover of darkness. A hundred percent. Ted does not have the there's the media comms person is non-existent for this team. 
Like they are, they are, a, where's the press officer? They're Where absent. They? They're absent. They're they are derelict of duty. They are not helping Ted be his best self and protecting him from these incredible ideas that cannot be a part of the common conversation. I mean, Ted takes them down there, right? They're surrounded by shit, literally. It's a sewer. Uh, and he says, uh, if you ask me, gentlemen, we're surrounded by a whole bunch of, as Jamie would say, poopé <laughs> up up there as well, uh, you know, uh, in, in their daily lives. See, gentlemen, right now, y'all's brains are basically in, stuck in London in 1857. They're blocked up with other people's dookie. You guys need to make an internal sewer system with yourselves and then connect to each other's tunnels, help each other keep that flow. So if you're ever having a crisis of confidence, you know, borrow some of Jamie's. If you're ever feeling down, get some Danny in your life. Or you can learn from Richard's vast knowledge of expensive wines. And then we get a little bit of a riff on on fine wines from Richard. It's it's basically Ted's way of saying, like, stop listening to everybody else. Like, we have to stay insulated as a group. Because if the outside voices are getting to us, we don't have any chance. Well, and lean on each other. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we can, if you're down, like look to your left and right to, to get picked up, you know, and, and we're stronger as a group. So, um, anyways, while they're literally in the shit, Nate has his, in his, his first press conference of the season, the media are excited for this one, especially you think this would be a great narrative for the Premier League, uh, assistant manager, former Kitman, now manager of rival team, writes the headlines right themselves. Uh starts off a little little nervous, a little anxious. He just he's struggling a little bit. He he takes a moment. Is that a, he is bends that a panic attack? I write. Mm-hmm. He bends down. The music's back. Yeah. Too. Collects himself, spits, and it the spit is kind of like his act of aggression to to knock himself out of it. And he comes up and he's a different person. I mean and it and it just goes like dark essentially yeah it's it's uh it's a little bit of what we saw in season two right uh when when he got really anxious or sad like he would do that and kind of like gin himself up a little bit but they've added the music now they added that little string that like you you can relate back to ted with right where he's clenching his hands this is his version of that um essentially and yeah, after that, he's basically a stand-up comedian, right? He goes on this tear, and, and he finally gets the question, uh, would, you know, after after the uh, construction workers post the photo of Richmond going into the sewers, the reporter asks, um, Coach Shelley, would you like to comment on the new picture of AFC Richmond that just showed up online? And Nate says, yeah, well, that makes fe- sense to me. They probably have to train a sewer because their coach is so shitty. Um. You know, a pretty obvious joke to make there. Not a phenomenal line, but Rupert seemed to enjoy it, so everything's all good. Well, you could say that their their hopes are circling the drain. There's a oh, lot more boy. that you could oh, get boy. into in terms of punny <laughs> but, humor. But because I think the one thing that I would call out is most managers, particularly in the English press, are not that aggressive towards the interviewer so again this is a a show we just try to sometimes point out the differences between Mm -hmm. like the reality for those who don't watch the premier league or absorb it as much as we do like this would not be acceptable to basically call a reporter an idiot like that's a really that's a really high bar it's happened but it's it has happened it's not received well very infrequent and usually they end up apologizing in some way, shape, or form, either public or private. It's a rookie mistake is what it is. Like, he oh, came out of go. the gates firing hard, and now he's either done one of two things, Brandon. He's either going to have to keep that up the entire time and win to back it up, right, to back up the arrogance, or he's going to have to backtrack and, and make himself look weak to Rupert. And... So he just through his own anxiety, he put himself in a tough position here to to move forward. Mm, yeah, honestly, I think that that rookie mistake is a great call. Um, like most things, the media can be your ally or your enemy. You, it's a give and take. It's a relationship. It's a mm-hmm. it's it's something that is is alive and is constantly needing cultured. And and he definitely planted a firm flag. He's got a lot to uh, make up on that one. We'll see how it, it shakes out. Um, 
Rebecca, back back to Richmond, she's furious. She's embarrassed by Ted's field trip. The West Ham press conference just it went off as well as it could have for them and kind of their bad boy attitude. And she essentially wants a response. She pulls Ted. Did she text him or call him? But it was like, come to my office now. Now, yeah. And he's nice enough. He doesn't think too much of it. But I think, again, anyone who is told by their boss, come here now, um, probably a little bit concerned or a little interested in what conversation is going to happen. And she essentially tells him, I want the fighter. Dan, she, you know, and, and obviously we referred back to it earlier. You know, she talks about when he sprayed the, the water, the the sparkling water in face, but, it, you know, goes back to the, I want the guy who said he wants to win the whole fucking thing. It's the rally cry. It's the trust that this relationship has built up where Rebecca can make an ask of Ted and sometimes has to be more direct in what the request is. Like, hey, I need you to come with me to meet with the Milk Sisters to have this meeting. Like, it's a way of, like, paying me back. It's a way of helping support me. And so she's had to be more direct in occasions. And this is a borderline boss-to-employee comment rather than the friendship relationship that they've developed. But, you know, it's it's been time. It's the emotion and anger and hate and frustration that she has poured into Rupert. And it's the wake-up call that Ted needs to really get out of the haze that he has been in the majority of this episode, still kind of dealing with the father mode that he's Mm -hmm. in. And he's basically taken the team and made him (laughs) the Henry stand-in for the majority of the episode. And now it's like, well, hey, this is if this is your kid and you love it, like you also have to fight for it. You can't just sit by in the sidelines and be happy go lucky and be okay with whatever result we get because you know we've seen beer blow up m2 before like these are professionals like this is not just a joke to people nick yeah i mean and and we get his presser right after this right and you know he told rebecca straight up that he was not going to fight back or comment on what nate said and then you see a little bit of of the turn during the press conference, we get a new reporter from the independent Marcus Adebayo um, taking uh, Trent Krim's spot. Uh, he asked Ted straight up about Nate's slander. Uh, but, you know, typical to Ted, he does turn the other cheek. He makes a lot of very loving comments about Nate Bax, says that West Ham are lucky to have him and all sorts of stuff. Um, very he talks about him kind of like he's Belichickian a little bit. Um Dan, which I know you'll love, um, but he's not going to let Nate or anyone see him sweat. Like that is that's been his mo since the beginning. You know, he's addressed his panic attacks head on. He's addressing this head on, um, and and he has a pretty you know kind of somber response until he. Uh, you see that little flicker in his eye, Brandon, where he's like. I'm just kind of disappointed with the material. <laughs> like there's so many things that he could have made, you know, Nate could have made fun of me for, and he didn't go with any of them. And then he leads the entire press corps on a, uh, on basically a stand-up skit and everyone starts laughing and you start to see Rebecca's anxiety drop as this thing goes, even though she's probably still a little pissed off. And she gets that little text from Keely saying, way to let Ted be Ted. Like that, it's a pretty cool little series of moments that happen. It would be so angry, and then to have that. Look, I thought I I thought it was a terrible idea. I thought it was going to backfire. I was not a fan when he started doing it. Like he was drowning on the mm-hmm. "How dumb are you?" And I'm like, this is painful to watch. Stop. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, the jokes weren't great, but the press gets behind it, and it is the mere opposite of what Nate did. Right. Ted is banging them over the head with cheesiness and laughter and being their friend. Um, and Nate is not. And that is, you know, because Nate felt like he's smarter than Ted. So he has to do it differently than Ted. He can't keep any of Ted's playbook because that's what he built his game off of, his recognition and off of and stuff. So I look, Dan, I was surprised. I was sitting there begging him to stop. Um, thank God Rebecca came around. Thank God the press came around 
and it ended up being, I wouldn't say a victory, but it ended up being a good moment for Ted in the moment where I thought it was it was going to be bad and it was going to lead to more heartburn and heartache between him and Rebecca. Look, there is a benefit to being a manager who can get the press on their side in England. There have been managers who've had really, really tough struggles and have been really r- bad runs of results, but because they're a favored figure or they're easy to work with or they get fun answers to the questions that they can go a little bit lighter they can pull some of those punches now the headlines are still written by a separate person but the meat and potatoes of the piece might just be a little kinder to that individual and so this to me is ted playing the absolute long game and making sure that the the pressure is on him not on the team the pressure is not on Rebecca. The pressure is on him. He's taking it all on himself. This also is a like cheeky strategy play, right? There's an old phrase, have more than you show, speak less than you know, right? Maybe his work in FIFA is in the background. He's trying to lower expectations for when he comes out and wins a couple of crucial matches at the beginning of the season. Um and you know what? It, if if you were going to bet on either Ted or Nate being really good at mind games, you'd bet on Ted. <laughs> I mean, Nate, Nate doesn't really have that switch on him. Like, he is basically all business all the time, very straightforward, doesn't have the ability to think two or three moves ahead um, w- within the context of the show. Ted does. And I, I would be surprised if we don't see a little bit more of, of Ted showing what he has in, in his arsenal this season. Yeah. So obviously Nate gets frustrated by this, you know, he wanted reaction, he wanted to win, but uh, you know, social media supported Ted and kind of embraced him for who he is. Um, Rupert got him a new car. Now look, you wrote Aston Martin. I thought it was a Bentley. It's an Aston Martin. I'm pretty sure. Aston Martin. Yeah. hundred percent. Double check. Thousand percent. I think there's a B on the front of that car. You guys go back and tell me. Maybe it'll be in the trivia later, and we're just uh, creating chaos here. Um, but it, it it's a good management step. Makes him feel like he belongs at the big level. We got rid of that shitty car, um, and it definitely Nate's, boosts his confidence. Nate's new car, and Ted Lasso is an Aston Martin DB11. Again, like, I don't know what Reddit, subreddit you got that from, or some no-name egg Twitter profile, but... Let's just go back and watch it. I'm just going to read Emily Lynn underscore M's tweet, which is that Nate driving Aston Martin is when my F1 and Ted Lasso worlds collide and allows me to be a hater of both at once. Never heard of them. So Uh, subreddit for Ted Lasso is where I got that. Well, (laughs) unverified. Uh, But uh, on the way home, he's taking that L real hard on the way home. Ted is still going through his crisis uh, that we saw at the beginning. Uh, you know, he's talking to Beard, asking the same questions that he asked Dr. Sharon. Said, you ever wonder why we're here, coach? I mean, look, I know it's nuts. We came here in the first place, but at this point, I can't tell if it's more crazy or less crazy that we're still here. Again, bookending this episode with Mm -hmm. why am I here? Should I still be here is the thought. Um, But, you know, one... It's funny, he he walked past the apartment. I love that from Beard. Are we getting a beer coach? He goes, what? No, why? I got to talk to him. He goes, because your door was back there. <laughs> well, in, in real life, that pub and his apartment are like 20 steps apart, yeah. probably. Yeah. Uh, we, you know. that, that's a, uh, a, a quick stumble back home, that's for sure. <laughs> it's beautiful. Yeah. So we get to the FaceTime call, Nick, where uh, Henry just has a has a superb performance. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is where, you know, he they were talking about, you know, Ted showing him on FaceTime. He put the little uh, Premier League trophy in the stadium, and then he sees Nate off to the side, Lego Nate, and he's like, well, why is Nate over there? And Ted's like, well, he's not on the team anymore, bud. And, and you know, Henry lets him know that even though they're not on the team, they could still be friends, right? And I think Ted despite his outward appearance is probably harboring a lot of resentment towards Nate as I would as a person, because Nate's an asshole. Um, but Ted's still in crisis, Dan. And, and you kind of see Henry reground him here, you know, to get he, Henry almost gives him purpose. Like 
and and it's through the lens of like if you're gonna be there, you might as well do the whole fucking thing. Look, he he drops the line, and it's like you gotta. He, he asked the question about the try, like because Ted tries to retort with the winning isn't everything, but then when he goes with the like you have to try because Ted has embraced that do the, the just do it mentality. You know, it's very much. Uh, Accurate that they should be Nike represented because uh, very much uh, adopting adopting that. But then, you know, he says, yeah, you're absolutely right that you you got to go do it. You got to go try. And I think this is the the jettison that I, I think we're going to see a Ted just absolutely shot out of the cannons in the next episode because this is the the catalyst conversation that he needed to finally wake up. To fully realize, like, what is at his feet, what did this opportunity means, and what he needs to do this season. And he's homesick. Mm-hmm. Like, he's clearly home. Having Henry around for six weeks made him homesick. Like, it's very clear as he's, you know, checking his phone throughout the episode, Brandon. Like, he missed his family. He's been away from home for a long time now, right? And that even gets a little bit worse when, you know, Henry reveals that Michelle's dating someone, that person's buying. That person, Jake, is buying Henry presents and stuff like that. We will not spoil that because that's a trivia question later. But, uh, you know, it's I think it's one of those things for Ted. Like if I'm going to be halfway around the world, if I'm going to be away from my family for this whole time, we might as well go absolutely do everything we can. Yeah. Uh, I mean, absolutely. You have to just, uh, you know, the ends have to justify the means is kind of where he was at. And. And that's what he's, you know, saying to, to Henry. He's like, you know why I'm here. I wouldn't I wouldn't not be there if it weren't important. Okay, well now you just drew the line in the sand. Like maybe you and Rebecca are aligned at the very end. We'll have to see mm-hmm. how it plays out. Because again, he got the gut punch with uh Michelle's friend. So uh anyways, we're gonna take our ad break when we're back. We're finally gonna get to the uh off the pitch, aka the workplace stuff. So thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back. So off the pitch, aka the workplace stuff, Rebecca lights a fire under Ted. She's off to visit Keely for lunch. Um, so she's just kind of like storming into Keely, who has an office with her name on it. And she has an entire staff. It's a PR firm backed by a venture capitalist. She's got this new life. She's this boss-ass woman running a company. And, um, like, it's so funny. She's like, I have to schedule everything in my life. I double-booked you. This is my time to cry at my desk, and you're here. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I think a lot of us can relate. <laughs> she she's not she's not handling this well, Dan. I mean, for as confident and as optimistic and as energetic as she is, this is a whole the new world for her to live in. Like, she, you know, we we see her uh, not understand what a CFO is or why she can't spend money uh, in her own company the way that she wants to because it's not her money. Um, and it's just clear that like the demands of this life have taken a toll on her. Very much the getting your dream, but not realizing what doing that dream, the reality of that dream actually means. Like everybody sees for, you know, to use the football analogy, like they see the glamour of being able to lift trophies and be a you know, sponsored athlete, but they don't see the hours of work in the weight room and the practices and the early mornings and the late night and the travel. And with her, she hadn't necessarily absorbed all the elements of being the boss and what that was going to mean and what having a a CFO (laughs) um, actually ends up meaning uh, when you're trying to run a company and you can't necessarily get to the, the frequency of flower delivery that you're looking for. So, uh, you know, I look, I, who does know what a CFO is, let alone what they do? Like, to be yeah. fair, that's, that's understandable. Mystery. <laughs> you hear them on every corporate conference call about <laughs> boring, 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 boring. Financial boring. Earnings. earnings calls. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So things turn right. And, and, you know, they, they obviously want to talk about Rebecca and the season and how things are going. Uh, a lot of conversation, obviously about Rupert, you know, it's, that's her big thing. And, Keely's, Keely's, like, I don't know, do you say like the angel on her shoulder? I mean, she's just the good, 
partner to her. You know, she'll listen, she'll bounce it back, gives it to her in in a way that I think she probably also understands and accepts as well. They've got this really strong female connection that to Dan, in my opinion, I think really just makes it easier. You know, if she were to have a conversation with a guy, maybe like um, someone on the board or something like that, it just wouldn't be the same. I mean, this is authentic, genuine, like one-on-one friendship. If uh, it had been with Leslie instead, in terms of uh, <laughs> trying to bond over this, yeah, may not have not, gone not over peers, no, quite as well, no. But they uh, this this leads to the line that is just uh, you've got to let Rupert be Rupert too, and that like Rebecca needs to kind of let go, like actually have growth. Like she thinks she's grown, but not necessarily. Maybe he's getting the the reality check that like. There is a need to let people just do their thing and maybe focus on what you can control, Nick. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's also like, you know, Keely sees her differently than a lot of people do, right? Keely sees a lot of vulnerability in Rebecca. Rebecca doesn't let anyone see that. Maybe a little bit with Ted, maybe a little bit with Higgins, but Keely just is able to level with her in a different way. And she's also able to call out her bullshit. Like you remember, you know, when, uh, Keely found out that she was the one who ordered the paparazzi that she just walked right up to her and said, Hey, fuck off, go apologize. Or we're not friends anymore. And she was the one who supported her when things got really tough. And so I think they just, they understand each other and, and Rebecca understands how to be a boss, which is super important because Keely is struggling on the other side of that. Right is able to lend her support in the other way. Their friendship is awesome. And uh, letting Rupert be Rupert can also mean that he can walk into his own demise, right? He's going to Rupert. That's what he's known to do. So that's really sage advice, even though it seems stupid. And it's very much a West Wing trope from Aaron Sorkin uh, from uh, Let Bartlett Be Bartlett, which is fantastic. So uh, it it ends with her having to cancel. Um, Again, hilarious little interaction here. She's like, oh, no, I, I am eating meat again. <laughs> like, so good. <laughs> I was like, Thank fuck. Okay, Rebecca. All right. I, I catch you. I see what you're doing. She's like, eh. she's like, no, no, no. I have to cancel because um, her and Roy are going to have the talk with Phoebe, which I think we all were thinking the same thing. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I was like, how old is that Phoebe? Seems- Seems awfully soon hmm. for that sort of thing. But they seem progressive. You know, they're very open about that, I could see. So uh, anyways, uh, we cut to the house. They're in the kitchen. Very awkward, which, again, you're like, okay, yeah, this would be awkward. They butter up Phoebe with a bowl of ice cream before dinner, which she sees right through but enjoys it all. And uh, they don't say it together. One says... We broke up, and the other says we're on a break. Clearly, they're not on the same page. Maybe that's no. why they're breaking up. <laughs> Are they, though, yeah, Dan? Not. Are they just on a break? See? See? Yeah, yeah. Ross, tell us more about being on a break. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, this was something we had thought about in the preseason previews. Like, where were they going to be? That's what you thought about. I never spent one second thinking about this. Wow. Just, again, some of us care. Some of us have a heart. Some of us want to see relationships blossom and, and Some bloom. of us want people to break up. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm pro-stay together. Anyways. It did happen, and I think now we're getting an opportunity to see how that's going to impact them individually throughout the you know next part of the season here. Because I think there's going to be arcs to this, Nick. It's not going to be a straight line, you know, back to one another. It's going to be some star-crossed times. Yeah, it's it it's clearly Roy is more hurt here, right? Roy is the one who called it off. It's very clear that he's insecure, and this insecurity was last season too, right? The photo shoot, the the trip that he had planned, like she has kind of pushed him away a little bit, right? And and intentionally or unintentionally, and he's just not reacted well to that. He's not used to that. He's used to people coveting him as a as a person, uh, and so 
what I love is that Phoebe, we get Phoebe as the audience asking some really straightforward questions and doling out some really uh, important truths to Roy. When she's, she asked him, Uncle Roy, are you sure that you're doing the right thing? Uh, he says, I don't know. And he looks pretty puzzled about it. And then she says, can I say a bad word? He says, go on because of the swearing thing. It's a good tie back. And then Phoebe says, I think you're being stupid. Yes, obviously. Um, you know, I love that we get to, as an audience, go like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> um, a little bit. But I guess the question, Brandon, that I have for you, being a, a pro-Roy pro and Keeley Stan, Will they get back together? Is this but a smoke screen for a larger narrative, or are they done? Look, he didn't have a good answer, so uh, there's going to be more to go. Clearly, Phoebe has absolutely uh, just battered him in one round in the the, uh, the emotional boxing <laughs> ring, and he has a lot to think about. Um, hope he... Yeah, hope he, he takes some time and thinks about it. So I think hard hard predictions for all of us right now. Do they get back together, yeah, with Brandon? Yeah, there's no doubt. That was the weakest ass breakup I've ever seen. Dan? Dan. 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 I don't, I don't think so. Oh no. He hedged his bet. Like they're, they're definitely getting back together. If if they wouldn't have broken up in episode one, I would have thought, oh, they're definitely trending toward a breakup. But you is- you do have the number of episodes required. Like, you have the functional time in the show to allow months to pass. Oh, yeah. To, uh, you know, for almost a year to pass from start to end to allow that to actually naturally transpire. Stop fighting it, Dan. Look, That's all I have to say. Look, just like in soccer, they sc- they you, know, you could score too soon. They broke up too soon. They're definitely getting back together. <laughs> Defending all right. the 2 no lead. <laughs> time for the main theme, a.k.a. block out the noise. After a long time away, it's clear that season three starts out with the continuation of the same issues that plagued many of our characters at the end of season two. AFC Richmond are struggling with a lack of belief in their collective abilities, except for Jamie, of course. Uh, Ted is struggling with his purpose at Richmond and is homesick. Roy is struggling with the weight of new expectations and his insecurity with Keeley. Uh, Keeley struggling with her newfound success and making time for people she loves. Rebecca is struggling to deal with Rupert's bullshit. Hatred is consuming her again. Dark Rebecca, no. Nate, well, Nate sucks, but he's also struggling with anxiety and the outside noise that clearly impacts his mental health and feeling of self-worth. Don't forget his parents either. But mm-hmm. Ted's message is clear. To survive the pressures of expectations or lack thereof, you have to let shit not get to you. Block it out. Use your friends, teammates, and partners to keep you grounded and sane. This is the way to happiness with all our characters. Listen, though, TBD, we don't know. But, Nick, they tied a lot of things together again. They had time. Yeah. They had a lot of time to get to this point, and they used it wisely. Yeah, it's you know when we when we went back and listened to our our season two, right? It, it was very clear straight out of the gate that mental health was going to be a, the main theme of season two, and I think that continues in season three, but it's framed a little bit differently. It's framed as as leaning on each other, as trusting you know the people around you, and you know maybe not letting your worst tendencies, your jealousy and insecurity, block the way to to feeling secure and happy. I mean, that's some growing up that, that needs to be done there. Right. And it's, uh, it's kind of a interesting start, uh, to, uh, to season three. Dan, anything you want to add on? No, I'm just excited for the next episode. It can't get here soon enough. Well, bummer. Tuesdays. It's not Tuesdays. Gonna be a while. This whole one episode a week. Not a fan. I don't want to wait this long. No, you needed the, the three drop at the beginning to give the people that little bit of an initial rush, and then you could have drip-fed us the rest of the week. They don't have to. I want to they got us. I want to they last. got us absolutely I hooked. Last. I mean, how many extra months are they going to get out of your Apple TV subscription this way, Dan? There you yep. go. Yeah. That's the business That's so all about. Well, when Sudeikis makes a million an episode, you got to make it back somehow. Yeah. All right. Crown and Anchor pub trivia. Weird questions and observations from one Nick Verlaney. What do you have? All right, a handful here and a bonus question. So we're going to start putting these out on social as well, uh, at Pod Underdogs, not to be uh, too pluggy here. But uh, since we have been to the Crown and Anchor, I officially feel secure in naming this uh, section. Um, The first question is (laughs) just a random nonsense play that happens on the way to the sewers. But 
What does the Richmond bus driver do while the team is in the sewer? Did not see that coming at all. So that was a, a pretty fascinating take, although a little oddly concerning that Beard was so familiar with the activity. He'll be fine in 20 mm-hmm. minutes. <laughs> uh, second question. What gift does Michelle's new friend give to Henry? Uh, you see this very clearly at the end of the episode. Number three. What was the cholera epidemic of 1858 in London called? Uh, Beard gives you the answer in the episode. Number four, where is West Ham projected to finish in the Premier League? This is a pretty subtle one uh, if you picked it up. Number five, who does Keeley tell to fuck off on the phone before greeting Rebecca? Uh, You had Piers Morgan in season two. This is a continuation of that fun little trope in season three. Uh, with the quote saying, I just don't think Miss Walton will have a whole lot to say about the unfair advantage of being a female owner in sports. Uh, Keely, killing me. And then a bonus question for those who are, are movie lovers. What movie did Roy tell Beard that he liked during this episode? There we go. A good amount. Again, Pod Underdogs, get in. Let us know if you're smart enough. Uh, might take a rewatch or two. Uh, help ease the delay for episode two. So uh, last but definitely not least is winner, winner, football dinner. Who won the episode? And gentlemen, the battle off is back. Dan, Ted, Nick, Rupert. How do we settle this? I don't know, Dan. You're just You're just picking the easy way out. It's Ted Lasso. It's his show. Episode one. Yeah, but he takes us on a journey this episode. Oh, well, so did the bus driver. The beginning days. (laughs) (laughs) He went on a trip, trip. if you will. (laughs) Uh, Ted journey, but uh, bus driver was a uh, a trip. Um, Look, from having to scoop up the Legos and effectively take the broken pieces of his life metaphorically and go out and rebuild the broken side of players to get them plugged back in after everyone from the independent to Paddington Bear decided to smear them in the press to being able to turn the other cheek and get the counter on Nate to do so with a plum and to still take the shock at the end of the episode when it came to finding out that his ex-wife now has a new boyfriend. I think Friend Ted takes the W. <laughs> Friend. Well, let's just make the assumption that this is this is more serious than that. Henry just doesn't know yet. Fair enough. Wow. He he has a long list, Nick, to be fair. Uh, uh. Uh, them's a lot of words, Dan. Them's a lot of words. Um, look, I think it's, you know, it, you could go a lot of different ways in this one. There's no clear winner as we've had in, in previous episode uh, winners. But mm, muddying uh, the waters, I, I, with, I like that. Good. Yeah, just to, you know, just <laughs> really muddy this. Know, look, that's what I do. I think it's Rupert. Stingray uh, shuffle. I don't love to see Rupert doing well. Uh, I don't think anyone does, but. If you think about what he's constructed here, right? He bought West Ham, sold the shares to Rebecca. She didn't see it coming. Stole one of her brightest assets. Pissed her off along the way. Is now projected to do better than her in the league. And is basically putting his tentacles everywhere to control everything. Uh, He controlled the narrative of this episode and he's creating chaos. Um... You know, his protege is is becoming Darth Vader. Uh, he is clearly Emperor Palpatine. Uh, and he has a cool Death Star-themed office now um, to, to put it all together. So uh, while while Ted is, is worrying about his own, you know, existential crisis in this episode, I think that, that Rupert is pretty confident in who he is and all the shit that he wants to fuck up. Yeah, I would say this episode was full of destabilization, not stabilization, which... I think just naturally goes against Ted. Um, You know, this episode was a lot of pieces falling apart, not necessarily coming together. And I think it's just building the hero narrative for Ted in other seasons. But, you know, we haven't played a game, but if you just look at it between Rebecca and Ted's relationship and Rupert and Nate's, you probably assume that West Ham would go out and beat uh, AFC Richmond today just based on where they're at. 
Um, so yeah, I would actually lean towards Rupert, you know, but uh, it's early. He may have won the battle, but not the war. Dan, don't you worry, sir. Wow. I just, I just don't understand how you both enjoy being so wrong. We There's only one way to tell us who was officially right at Hot Underdogs. Uh, but look, that is it for this episode of The Underdogs. Please connect with us. In case you uh, haven't heard it yet, this episode, we're actually on social media at Pod Underdogs. Uh, you continue what? the chat really? there. Let at us Pod know Underdogs. what you thought. Yeah. Uh, subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, if you'd be so kind, take 15 seconds as well. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Apple Podcasts, Spotify means the world to us. It really does. Uh, get us seen in a free way to support us. So anyways, we'll be back with season three, episode two next time.